Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Hello, and welcome to February 2021's New Habits Podcast. Um, We're going to turn our attention today back to the Microsoft Teams service, which has seen a large number of both incremental and radical updates since we last looked at the roadmap uh, a few months back. Um, Joining me today is Paul Schaeflein and Wes Hackett, um, two Microsoft uh, MVPs, and of course, my add-in 365 colleagues. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Um, So we're going to look today first at capabilities that have just rolled out or are rolling out before looking at um, some of the capabilities in public preview at the moment. Um, and then on to features and some of the capabilities that Microsoft have suggested are going to be coming um, over the next uh, couple of months. Um, It's fair to say that from March last year when COVID um, and the response to COVID meant an increase in homeworking, um, Microsoft have seen a much larger uptake of Microsoft Teams than even they could have anticipated. So it's little surprise that a number of the items that Microsoft have delivered recently um, are a direct response to homeworking and what people require to be successful at that. Um, I guess the first capability we could look at is the noise suppression um, uh, capability, uh, then the sort of do not disturb and the ability to actually set where we are during the day um, before we look at uh, breakout rooms uh, as well. Um, Wes, what are your thoughts on uh, the noise suppression capability? Is it a gimmick or do you think this is something that's going to be really useful for people that are working at home, perhaps with kids or dogs in the background? I, I think it I think it was a much needed feature. I mean, um for example, the three of us are recording our voices on totally different equipment. Paul's got a high-end set of microphones because he obviously does a lot of podcasting. I'm on a fairly standard office-style headset, and you're talking into the the device in front of you. So I think the noise suppression capability sort of levels the playing field on the audio quality, um, and it is something that adds a decent value to the experience when you're um, thinking about the recording quality. Um, but for me, it's it's tied to um, some of the net new changes in behavior that we see in terms of information sharing and the approach to maybe like performing work. So while these features themselves are, are interesting and it's, you know, a team specific capability, it's also, I might add, supported on, on streams playback delivery. You can set a video to suppress noise uh, within Microsoft Stream. It's really um, interesting to see a big change in tack from Microsoft from what I would call user voice chasing where it was chasing the top number of votes to them stepping back and holistically looking at what will improve the overall experience um, now that we're in this kind of new working pattern. Um, Obviously, you mentioned, you know, background noise, dogs, cats, children, other calls happening in the same sort of home corner of the kitchen or whatever where people are working um, so it improves the quality of of, of, of that experience um, quite substantially for those on the receiving end of the call but one um, 
sort of part of the ecosystem in 365 I've seen a sort of decent uptake on since uh, this sort of working at home pattern has become the norm is the use of the stream, uh, you know, self-recording uh, aspects as well as, you know, recording every team's meeting you attend so that you don't need to take notes. But the, this idea now that people um, to share information are just sitting in front of the laptop and talking, recording that and sharing that recording via stream using the noise suppression uh, to kind of clean up the video when they don't have a really high-end microphone or, you know, um, I'm sure there's some technical terms for it, but, you know, the the, 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 the decent gear that you, you would get if you're doing a lot of uh, audio-visual uh, recording. So I think for me, it's it's one of the parts of that holistic step back and looking at the features and seeing the value of that they can provide to the average employee. But it's also supported by people's change in behavior and content delivery. Now that we're working at home, there's a lot more video and voice being used so it's a good thing that teams focused on that audio quality part uh, as part of the delivery and i would argue that most computers are doing nothing during a meeting anyway so why not put it to work with some of this high-end stuff and, and it's voices uh, the expectation in the office is that it's it's always there always works so let's let's make it good so uh, i'm glad to see this moving out well it reminds me it reminds me of the kind of like the big buzz around custom backgrounds uh you know when, when teams didn't have custom backgrounds and competitors did teams chased that uh gauntlet and they they grabbed it and they delivered custom backgrounds they allowed you to sort of initially hack your own custom ones in. Uh, now they allow you to set them. It's improving the experience. They then did those studies that they publicly published around fatigue and, you know, looking at the grids and they, they an, another really good demonstration of them doing what they should be doing as, as the kind of leader in, in that space is, using proper UX techniques, proper research studies, not just chasing what a bunch of business users want, uh, you know, shouting about and saying, hey, we need these features. They sat back and said, okay, let's study the pattern of working now. Let's understand more about it. Let's come up with some innovation. And I think that the, although it's not a recent release, you know, the background image stuff, this noise suppression stuff, the the scenes that you can now set, you know, instead of having a nine by, uh, three by three or whatever, nine by nine grid, you've got the, the different meeting room space visuals that you can get um, in theater mode. So um, together mode rather, uh, you know, that's, that's proper innovation from Microsoft. And it's, you know, impressive to see that the leadership there have, have switched that around. What, what I would comment on is I've, I've seen a recent trend and it's really been strong since we came back in the new year where people are actually getting fatigue of custom backgrounds. You know, a lot of meetings I'm attending at the moment, people are saying, oh, I hate these custom backgrounds. Yeah, everybody's got these fancy, fancy office buildings behind them. Everybody's using the same one or a corporate marketing team have decided we've got to have a particular picture as our background. And a lot of people are opting to really show you a bit of an insight into their current working environment and just turn them off. So it'd be, you know, it's, 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 we've gone the full circle. We, we didn't like to show everybody the chaos that was around us. They delivered some tech, they did some decent studies and now people are sort of getting back to their, well, we've been in this situation so long. 
I just want to show you that, you know, I'm sat in my kitchen or I'm sat in the, in, in, in the corner near a bookcase and it's a bit more personal. Um, and it's, and it's kind of a, just an interesting, no matter what, which features they deliver and how fast they're delivering, the humans involved are finding ways to kind of say, yes, it's good initially. And then no, actually we preferred the old way of, of doing things. It's kind of, kind of weird to see it. See, now I just think it proves that it was a gimmick and a waste of time. But that's just me being but, an old man, probably. But I, I think it depends who you are and what your <laughs> um, living situation is. I mean, I am I'm absolutely wedded to my custom backgrounds um, because, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to customers and um, I don't want people to see the stack of boxes behind me from where I moved house. You, you know, so I, I do think it depends on, um, on, on your living situation and certainly anyone in a, in a small home with, with children and probably a fair amount of mess to reflect that, uh, you would expect that that they take some comfort in in those custom backgrounds and and that's that's quite reasonable but um Wes you, you talked about the the performance of work and we've got to go back to that because I yeah. think it's a really really good point which is that when we think about noise suppression or a custom background as giving us this professional veneer that allows us to conduct ourselves as we would if we were in the public sphere in an office um, and therefore away from our private environments, which we're now very much trying to work um, within. Um, I do agree as well that, um, that the performance of work needs to be considered from the perspective of the, the way that we work um, and, and how that's changed. I'm not, I remember sort of eight or nine years ago, if you said to a customer that the deliverable for an activity would be a set of recordings, you know, that have looked at you in a very confused way because people wanted the written up formal documents. And especially over the last few years, and in particular since, um, uh, you know, we've had the ability to record Teams meetings very easily, it's more than become acceptable to record a set of meetings as um, the, the basis for a, for a client deliverable for a project and then summarize outputs into a PowerPoint. People do feel like that information has been captured. And so the idea that the performance of work now is a literal performance in some instances, I think is, is so, so true. And so brilliant for productivity because let's be honest, you know, documents that were written with tens, if not hundreds of pages, were never consumed by anyone except the poor project manager that was reviewing them before that that artifact went out of the door. Um, whereas we know from research that people consume the message in video six thousand times better than those in a written document. So I, I do wonder if um, actually these technologies almost by accident have made us um, work more productively and more insightfully um, than uh, than even we particularly recognize at this point. There is, I mean, the whole sort of last 12 months has been interesting to see organizations that haven't fundamentally changed any kind of behavioral aspect of doing the work that you know as you say their their, their expectation is still that 100 page document with every single detail in it's still 
um, you know, sitting in seven hours to eight hours of meetings in a day doing, you know, and then, you know, repeating that a lot of people sit, they're talking about, you know, nine to nine to five is basically one long meeting, no comfort breaks. There's, there's lots of meeting fatigue that's happening. And I saw an interesting, I can't remember the source, but I saw an interesting article uh, while, while sort of on Christmas break that was talking about this concept of meeting tourism where in a in a physical environment where you're interacting with other members of your team you're seen whether that be somebody walking past your desk seeing you busy headphones in coding or writing a powerpoint sending emails whatever it is you're doing it's it's visual and you can be seen doing it so there was a this this kind of concept of meeting tourism was the switch to that not being possible anymore and the perception of being busy and how people around you or your manager would interpret, are you busy? Thus, people were signing up to a whole collection of meetings because obviously if you're participating in a meeting as an attendee, you may not contribute anything other than your attendance time. You may just be sitting silently in the background, video off, but you're on the list and you're active, you're green. And that is giving the perception that you are working, you are busy, you are participating in the vibrancy of the work packages that are happening. And they were they were kind of exploring this 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 as a, a problem because they were saying where naturally people would have avoided being nine to five meetings because A, they want a lunch break, B, they want to get a coffee, they actually want to get some work done. So they try and, you know, decide which of the physical meeting rooms or, or virtual sessions they're going to attend in a day. Since remote work has been the norm, because that visibility of their other stuff is hard to achieve, meeting meeting invites, accepting as much as you can and participating in as many things as you can in that way is, is driving a behavior that I don't think is healthy for an organization's performance or the individual's well-being because they... they that you know they're 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 not getting they're not getting um, an activity complete because they're sitting and having discussions in meetings. So this kind of idea of this meeting tourism was quite a, quite a fun one and aligns somewhat to to you know the research that they did and teams did around what the meeting experience needs to be and you know the my analytics telling you to book focus time and and the recent viva announcements that i know we're going to talk about in a different session around well-being and uh, you know and 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 taking those kind of virtual commutes but it's it's um, interesting to see that work change and that links nicely to uh, another capability that's recently rolled out, um, which is that you can actually set a do not disturb. Um, and the way you do that is to go to your profile picture at the top of the app, uh, select your status uh, that shows under your name, and then you can select the duration. So you can say, you know, I'm away for lunch for, um, for that period, which um, certainly uh, aligns to the fact that um, there's not really such a set working pattern in the day anymore. Um, it, it is uh, something that people are, you know, breaks are something that people are squeezing in um, where they can. Um, but hopefully it will prompt a few people to actually take small breaks because I have also spoken to quite a lot of people in very different industries telling me they're back to back in meetings, which to my mind, I, I connect immediately 
to some of the uh, national data in the UK that I've read about um, productivity actually stagnating over uh, the last 12 months uh, of those that are in employment. And when you um, consider that people are simultaneously saying they're overwhelmed, they're in meetings the entire day. For me, that, that makes perfect sense because um, if you're in, sat in meetings listening, you're not doing very much. Uh, even if your job when it comes to doing is thinking and making decisions, you can't, you can't do that if you're on, you're, you're on um, countless calls. But what's driving it, I think, remains to be seen. In my head, it's a combination of FOMO and people not wanting to be missing out on um, meetings that other people are in and also the need to be seen to be doing things um, and, you know, to be seen to be working. Um, and I think part of that is to do with a lack of information about what people should be prioritizing. They're at home, they do their jobs. Uh, I certainly know as a manager that it's very easy when you're at home to not talk to people that report to you. Uh, and that can lead to um, reports not being clear on priorities uh, and therefore trying to kind of um, do it all and and to, to to connect into everything, all of which is really bad for productivity. It, it, it's been it's been interesting. I mean, we've we've onboarded new employees to our organisation remotely, and I think the hardest thing has been um, making sure you find a good balance between their successful experience and getting your own workload done because as you say it's very easy to just go well if if i don't call them they're definitely not going to call me because there's always that kind of nervousness for anybody you know just randomly calling whereas in an office you'd sit there and have the conversation across the desk or you'd walk down the corridor and you'd see someone and then have that conversation obviously it's quite a deliberate action clicking the little call button on their name in teams and, and, and disturbing them or, or whatever the perception is. So it's, 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 uh, it's changing. I think the, the way that onboarding is done, it's changing certainly the way that you work with your surrounding team. I mean, Paul and I were having a, a, a laugh about somebody making comment about zero inbox a few, few months ago on Twitter and, and, rightly Paul said well I have nothing in my inbox because none of my team talk to me via email we're all team centric we have our conversations normally via voice and video so we've got that working pattern but again if you've if you've come from an organization that is email centric it's very written word centric this whole working from home pattern has been quite disruptive because it's like how do you know when someone's interruptible and how do you you know how do you pluck up the courage effectively to go and go and call that person to have the conversation out loud. So if we um, think of noise suppression and um, that being able to time box your do not disturb as being um, actually generally quite useful and certainly having life beyond um, lockdowns and work from home um, initiatives, how do we feel about breakout rooms? Um, the, the use cases for Microsoft Teams breakout rooms um, that have sort of dominated the headlines have really been firstly the schoolroom scenario where um, the teacher might talk and present and then uh, various groups um, might um, work together on on, on different um, 
uh, scenarios as have been directed by their teacher. And, and that is very reflective of what happens in a classroom. And the same breakout rooms have been adopted within the corporate environment to also mirror um, almost mirror what you might get at a conference where everybody attends a keynote uh, and then you have breakout rooms for different sessions that people might want to attend. On the basis that we hope children will go back to the classroom and events will start again, do we think um, breakout rooms might be one of these features rolling out now that actually does have a shelf life? I think so, yes. Usage, I think, will go down dramatically when schools reopen. However, when will schools reopen fully is still, you know, to be determined. But then again, it, it you know, I'm sure it'll, it won't go away, but I think usage will, will decline. Yeah, I can, I can see in a business context where they're going to be valuable. I mean, they're going to be value in any kind of training scenario, I think, where you've got some classroom type training and you break out to, you know, have mentors and supervisors in each little section to then come back. Um, you know, that's, that, that will be effective. Uh, I think they, they also possibly work well in a workshop stroke new business pitching scenario where you can imagine, you know, the more innovative pitch processes where you bring specialists from different disciplines and you break out at a certain point in the in the presentation where, you know, let's say uh, somebody that cares about the marketing aspects or the visual aspects goes off with the design team and they do their bit of pitch and then the technology people go off to another break room, they do their pitch. So you could shorten the overall consumed time of, of that process by breaking out and running things in parallel. Um, I mean, it's one of those features that's now part of the platform and it's an interesting kind of journey that that you kind of witnessed for that at build last year i believe there was a, a sort of online workshop where somebody used breakout rooms and built the technology to demonstrate microsoft graph and how you could do those things and they kind of built a custom solution and for me that was a, that was that was yet another example of of where there's extensibility in the platform to empower these solutions but the moment you see it on a stage by a microsoft product team you probably should assume that that's going to make its way out into the ecosystem at some point. I mean, the other ones that um, you've seen recently is the meeting extensibility. There's loads and loads of really obvious stuff in meeting room extensibility, like, I don't know, action capture. I'd be amazed if Microsoft didn't go down the list of obvious stuff and go, well, all of this is really obvious and all of this should be on our roadmap. Let's deliver it into the first party experience. But if you go back to the earlier conversation we just had about meeting fatigue and meeting tourism and I'm not I'm working, but I'm not working. A breakout room in, uh, implies there's a day long meeting that we're chopping up into rooms and coming back, whereas the meeting experience could say, OK, we're going to end this meeting and record what has to be done and we'll re reconvene in an hour or two hours, which I think is a I need to refill my coffee or do whatever. So I think I, that's why I don't see the the breakout room scenario lasting at high volume usage because yeah. people want to hang up and take the headset off and <clears throat> scream out the window at the squirrels or whatever, right? I'm with Paul. I mean, when is anyone meant to get any work done, any thinking done if they're in one continuous um, meeting? It's, it's remarkable. Um, but I also think that that is certainly 
a greater characteristic of big business operation than a small one. Um, it's certainly, you know, larger organizations that we deal with in the partner or, or client capacity that have more of that behavior than, um, than, than the smaller ones. Um, Okay, so we've talked about uh, noise suppression, do not disturb, breakout rooms, which have sort of started to support people through the pandemic. Um, but they're hey, not before the you go, Before you go on, I thought yeah. of something else. You know, the, when you talked about do not disturb, when you click up by yeah. the, your 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 ugly face in some of our cases, <laughs> they, they've they fixed the uh, the tenant switching capabilities, and and I'm, I know that maybe not all our, all our audience switches tenants as often as a developer does between test and prod and so on, but the experience between connecting to some other tenant perhaps because you're an external share or or so you know logging out logging in with a different account because you need to that experience has gotten much better or recently and it was a big complaint when it when it first came out so I, I just wanted to call out that, that 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 it looks different and it works better what I like about that is that it's been an incremental improvement that's now much much better than, than what we had before. Um, and I actually think the Teams team have done a really good job of that incremental design um, update, uh, betterment. Um, you know, I remember a time when Microsoft product groups would quite literally throw the baby out with the bathwater and wholesale redesign something. And you'd sort of be looking at the service going, most of that was fine. It was just three or four things that really needed improving and you've changed every, changed it all. So I like the fact that the team's design team are doing incremental updates um, and, you know, you don't even really notice it, but you know, it's much better. But, um, but, I, but, but on that, on that sort of thought, team, Teams is doing a decent job of that. But I actually have to have, have, have a small smidge of criticism for the SharePoint team at the moment in the sense that they're actually making their navigation experience when it's in Teams worse at the moment. So we used to be able to pin a pin a, 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 a set of SharePoint sites known as a hub into a Teams tab, and it would behave as if you'd like I framed in that particular browser. You, you would see it as if it was in the browser. You'd see all the features, all the capabilities, but. Because of direction of travel, because of like home app, which is now the connections suite and Viva, et cetera, et cetera, they've got they've got their North Star they're heading towards. And we're kind of in one of those horrible moments where not everything is finished. So now we get a SharePoint experience where navigation by the platform is redacted. So somebody in the product teams has decided that if I pin a SharePoint site page in, I'm only desiring the single page that I'm pinning in as a tab. We, we used to be able to say, hey, website tab, whole, whole site is available. So if you think about this idea of knowledge mining using project syn, uh, SharePoint syntax to you know, do, do uh, sort of knowledge mining on, on content and then creating sites of knowledge around that, at the moment, that kind of UX is broken because you, they are making a huge assumption, I think, about I want a single page pinned in as a single tab and I don't want to navigate around the, the site and the content around it. Um, so, yeah, Teams is making incremental improvements. SharePoint, uh, in its current state, it's got so got some rough edges, and I think you know. For me, I'd like to see I'd like to see some of that get improved because their their tra their travel to their direction is is kind of leaving a kind of slightly broken breadcrumb trail behind it at the moment, um, which is frustrating some of the employees. But I do think that part of that is about the context you're responding to. Think about where Teams was 
pre-March 2020, um, where you, know, you opened in your remarks by saying it was responding to a lot of user voice. It seemed a bit directionless. Suddenly COVID comes, we've got a whole track of um, capability improvements and enhancements and new features around home working. Um, we have the acknowledgement that this is where people are doing work and therefore we've got loads of productivity enhancements and, cap and capabilities as well. Um, SharePoint's not really responding to that and it's a very old product. So I'm not surprised that they're not quite as sharp on the um, what they're choosing to do and the extent to which they're choosing to do it because they're not under the same sort of pressure. Um, just well, but you got to remember when Teams launched. Remember, the team could only have a hundred some people in it. It was initially designed as a folk, laser focused thing. And if I'm in a channel and I have a tab in a channel, it's that thing I'm working on. And that SharePoint was never that small focus. It was SharePoint was always broad sharing, sharing. And so you've got you know a zig and a zag happening, and they collided. And the as you mentioned, they're picking up the pieces. So yeah, can't wait for that to get better. <laughs> So another capability rolling out at the moment is the uh, approvals app, which I have to say I'm really, really pleased about. Um, so for those that quite aren't quite up to speed on it, uh, this is the ability for somebody to um, execute their part of uh, an approval flow from within Teams, whether that's um, chat in conversations uh, or, or elsewhere. So if I need to approve somebody's expenses or if I need to approve some content before it's signed off, that can now be done within Teams. Um, my particular love of this capability really comes from the fact that, um, especially when we think outside of the pandemic, Teams was always a about the place where people go to collaborate and be productive. So it makes sense that we've got the ability to execute business processes um, from within this interface as well. Um, Wes, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think I think it's it's um, going to take off more once people get a bit more mature in content handling within Teams. Um, right now. You know, I would say we're only, I know, I know Microsoft's monthly active usage figures are skyrocketing and that's obvious, uh, you know, the, the root causes of that. But people's maturity of getting the best out of the combination of SharePoint, Planner, Teams is is, is not keeping pace with, with the innovation. And I think approvals has always been one of those areas where either a team has a really strong and clear understanding of what they're doing with content and the stages and life cycle, or they don't. So I think for, for, for teams that are in that mature area where they really understand how they need to do a review cycle on a document or they need to put controls around document, it's a huge plus for them. They're going to get one single place where they can individually see all the different types of content that they, they're working with. And it's going to baffle those users that are just sitting there thinking, well, it's a file store, I'll just drop some files in it and I'm 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 gonna do, you know, threads in the channel conversations to do the approval workflows and the, the as in the working flow rather than a, than a technology workflow. Um so yes, it's great. I think it's got a, a huge potential, but I think there's there's some there's some catch up over the next six months to really get employee teams to to understand why it's gonna be really beneficial to them to actually start putting some rigor and control around content they're creating. You think back, though, 
approvals was either I had to go to a specific SharePoint page to click the approve button in an old SharePoint workflow, or I had to go to a flow page or a power, whatever. They were everywhere or email, right? <laughs> approvals were always in email. And so part of me thinks it's great that there is a single place that I can aggregate and get, you know, approvals for the things that I have to approve. But on the other hand, I, I'm not 100% sure every team is proficient enough with the tools to create workflows that can land in that approval inbox. And so I think there's a struggle that Microsoft will have to educate and and I'm sure they'll get there. But I think that's kind of the, the the downside is, well, now what does that mean? And if that means I have to buy a license for Power Platform, then there's another obstacle that needs to be overcome. So uh, I'm cautiously up to. There's definitely a danger of um, teams being synonymous with calling and not much else, just as SharePoint in some circles is synonymous with file dumping ground um, and, and nothing else. But I think um, when Microsoft paved the way and allow for things like the approval app, it means for those that are looking in a more structured way at what the services can do to support their businesses, that capability is there now with very little blocker, um, which uh, is always to be commended. Um, I mean, ultimately, they can provide the platform. They can't force people to um, use it in, in, in the right way. Um uh, another interesting capability rolling out at the moment. I'm going to interrupt you yet again because it just occurred to me this is a great showcase for what t- apps inside of Teams can do. I mean, we've uh, everyone's seen the bots and everyone, bots do everything, and, but not everyone wants to communicate with a bot. But now there's a button on my in my interface that lets me do a specific task that is relevant to me. Yeah. And that's the, the one of the benefits that Teams app platform has provided since day one. So I'm glad that Microsoft finally has a first party app that showcases some of those things to kind of inspire business users. So, well, what is it you're working on? We can bring that into your into your experience as well. So well, I, 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 I re- like that part of it. I really agree with that. I've had a few conversations with clients around team apps and what that means. And they always look at me slightly blanking, and go, but, but what is that? You know, and so I, I really agree with you that um, this is a very solid Teams app that people will understand uh, and be able to use. And I think if Microsoft generate a couple of more, a couple more apps of that ilk, um, it, it be, the whole notion of a Teams app framework will start to make sense to your average business person. Whereas at the moment, I think it's quite abstract in the way that the community is talking yeah. about it. The, ta- the to-do and planner normalization, is, which is there, and it doesn't, it wasn't as front and center as approvals was, but it's there too, and that shows it off as well. So yeah. th- those two, I think, are a great example to show your your folks. Which which leads us kind of on to uh, you know the other piece of the puzzle around surfacing an app in teams that isn't built by a developer because obviously you know teams is a surface area it's got all the services extensibility from the services that it can surface surface so you know the possibilities are endless but obviously they threw into the ecosystem power apps for teams and power you know power power platform for teams the dataverse for teams and that again is um i think exciting and challenging in equal measure in the sense of it's it's unleashed a whole bunch of power platform citizen development um because obviously we've you know each person can start building sort of something localized it's uh i think showing up already as a big compete to sharepoint lists 
people are looking at it and going, I've got relational data I want to represent. It's going to be easier in Dataverse than it is in lists. Uh, let's go down that route. Losing some of those good capabilities of, in terms of the UI that a list provides, obviously with all of the you know, custom rendering that you can set up by sometimes point and click, sometimes with a bit of JSON if you're a bit more dev minded. So we've, again, we've got classic kind of experience where knowing what all the different tools can do and where the sharp edges are and picking the right tool. So when Microsoft come along and they deliver a good thing like the approvals, which is part of that power platform experience, and it's easier to sort of say, right, let's, let's hook in power platform usage in this contextualized model. So like we're thinking about approvals and we might extend approvals to, you know, go and do some extra things, put some Dataverse entries in because we want to track things. That's going to be a really big thing, I think, is extending approvals to tracking dashboards because almost everybody that's creating these documents that we deal with has an Excel sheet, which is called a tracker. You know, who's, who's building the documents that we're doing? That combination of dataverse approvals, you know, the ecosystem is really getting strong in that in that place. And I think once Microsoft have these first party experiences that really are easy to get your head around, having a conversation with a customer that says, right, now I can go and do this stuff in dataverse or this stuff in lists, this stuff can be combined with maybe, you know, even custom connections out into other the platforms. It's, it's already giving you an uplifted experience because they go, oh, I get what approvals is all about and I see the value of having it in Teams. Whereas when when a year ago when we were starting conversations and you would talk to, to, talk to anybody about the value of a Teams app, they were like, well, it's just a web part type thing because SharePoint Framework can put a web a tab. And it's like, no, it's an ecosystem. We're building an ecosystem application which is surfacing the things you need when you need them. And everybody would always get straight in the weeds of like, here is some code that I can write against a tab or a bot or stuff like that. So, so Power Platform's doing a good job, I think, of lifting, lifting us away from the development surface and, and putting us back into what is the design and the objective you're trying to go for. I think um, it's fair enough that business people can't necessarily um, imagine what you might do with a Teams app without example. I mean, you know, it, it's it's always the, the case that the more stories or examples there are of something, the more people in, seem to understand what you mean by something. You know, a SharePoint, internet, there are so many internet in the boxes, people instinctively know what you mean when you talk about a SharePoint intranet now in a way that when everyone was developing everything from scratch, it was actually really quite unclear. So, um, I agree that Power Platform has made that easier. I think the fact that Microsoft are leading with some strong Teams apps may, will make it easier for partners in the ecosystem, internal development teams to follow suit and to produce artifacts that then also become very good examples of what you can do. Um, so uh, another capability rolling out at the moment is um, Teams meetings for Google Workspace, which I wanted to table as something um, to discuss because um, it, clearly it's a competitive move, um, but it's one, of course, with uh, end user and you know more generally human value um, where people might be trying to join uh, Teams call uh, Teams calls, but actually be um, using Google Stack more generally. Um, what are your thoughts on um, Microsoft's position 
with alternative um, uh, capabilities to, uh, to to Microsoft Teams. Um, how, how do you see uh, this sort of bedding in? I, you know, when Teams first launched, it was the Slack answer, right? Or it was a this or it was a that. And and we all know that it's much more. And I, I just think this is a combination of Microsoft's will. We want to be wherever the productivity workers are versus the reality that we aren't going to have 100 percent of the market in any one area. And and there's no doubt that the Google stack is very high in education, which is a, a, a defined market for my so i think there it's one of those that we're gonna we're gonna get pieces of teams that make sense everywhere we can get them and if it gets usage it'll get improved if it doesn't get usage it'll get dropped so i think that's kind of the the, the strategy there it's my 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 take i agree uh, i certainly think it's about getting that door priced a little bit more open um, um in in the school space but um more generally uh, into uh, the lives of google um users uh, with a view to helping them get get familiar with microsoft products um i think historically microsoft have been much slower to integrate with competing tools, operating systems, devices, um, whereas now it feels, just watching, it seems like second nature. They're like, yeah, of course we're doing that. Um, whereas it wasn't so long ago that there were huge debates about do we even want Microsoft services to be ran on Apple devices, for example. Um, but it's, it's, I think for me, what was most remarkable is it wasn't even a discussion point. It's like, oh, Microsoft have delivered that. Um, uh, and that's really good to see, um, you know, when we're coming at this from the perspective that, uh, of course, we want um, uh, Microsoft services to, to have a level of ubiquity um, uh, and, uh, and support people, people using the technology. So let's have a, a quick look now at some of the capabilities that are in public preview. So not quite rolling out um, yet. Um, there's quite a lot that um, you could call cosmetic. So um, there's a whole new range of emojis for uh, meeting reactions like love, applause, laugh. And if um, uh, I, I was on one of these the other day, um, but it, it, now if you're in a meeting and there's content being shared and people, you know, do a love or an applause, it sort of floats over the screen. Um, so uh, emojis. <laughs> um, this is in public preview. It, should it be commanding as much uh, attention as it is? I mean, there's a whole load of things the Teams team could be building. They've chosen this. What do you think? Well, well you watch. You, <laughs> you, again, watch. <laughs> You're talking to two developers who are perfectly happy with the 26 characters as part of the Latin alphabet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the occasional com combination of them into a smiley or an unhappy face. Um, the, I don't know. It, for me, again, changes of meeting behavior. Middle of last year, people were just getting used to putting their cameras on. Teams backgrounds excited them. People were all joining a meeting and sitting with their cameras on throughout. The meetings that you attend today tend to be one or two people that are presenting have their cameras on. Maybe people turn their camera on if they're speaking or they turn it on right at the beginning to sort of say hello and then they turn it off for the rest of the meeting. So so 
in all of the snazzy screenshot marketing, whatever we've seen in terms of the public uh, display of this, it's implying that there's nine plus people in a big meeting, all with their cameras on, all happy, all with decent backgrounds. It's a very, it's a very set stage. When I, I, I'm going to be interested to see how this plays out in the reality of nine black squares with two initials in with a little blue ring as everybody's going, yep, 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 agree, and loads of thumbs going over the top of it. I don't think it's going to have the same visual impact as the marketing is suggesting. Um, it feels a bit like a, a superfluous feature, oh, but yeah. I'm sure it's going to drive engagement in some sectors, in some scenarios that that is worth going after. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 every every investment that moves us forward in those experiences is, I would argue, worth making. Is it going to be like the background stuff though, where people are just like, I'm so sick of clicking thumbs up and watching it bubble up over the screen. I mean, how many people get frustrated by those Outlook animations? You know, somebody writes the word celebrate or happy birthday and you open an Outlook email and it goes confetti all over the screen. <laughs> it's it's a gimmick. It's it's funny the first time, but the 50th time yeah. you see it, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure anyone's going to care. I think there's a slightly more fundamental problem with it, which is um, the, the, earlier in the podcast, we were talking about the fact that although people are spending more hours online in meetings, statistically, uh, the country is less productive um, of, of, of those that are working than, than they were 18 months ago. And um, you're quite right that there are plenty of meeting examples where videos are off, people don't contribute, their, um, you call it meet, meeting tourism earlier. Uh, and I think the, the, the big problem um, we've got with things like the, the meeting reactions, which is what they're called, is if you have people that have been turning up to a meeting, not contributing anything, uh, and then suddenly they're using these very lazy icons, thumbs up, smiley face, um, you wonder if Microsoft are helping themselves here or not. Uh, and my reason for, for suggesting maybe they're not is because um, tools that allow for true productivity and engagement are going to stand the test of time post-COVID. People are back in the office, even, even if it's only part-time, part because the person leading those meetings is going to be getting something out of them. Um, if somebody is presenting or running a session where nobody is contributing, um, I think that can only be um, that that lack of usefulness can only be compounded by a bunch of emojis that give the impression that people are listening, but actually it's just very easy to go, yeah, like that, you know. Uh, and so if we're thinking about life after um, working at home or, or whatever comes next, which I'm sure will be a hybrid rather than people going back into full-time um, work, uh, that surely has to be um, the success of teams and the ongoing use of teams it surely can only be secured by um, by people getting value from the tool, and I, and I think this potentially moves the dial in the other way, in the other direction, um, which is much much less helpful. Some other capabilities um, going into public preview at the moment is a larger gallery, so we can now see um, up to forty nine people 
uh, in that view, uh, together mode for web meetings and the PowerPoint presenter view. Um, so there's a lot here to do with uh, the, the UI of the meeting interface, a lot of focus on uh, meetings in general, uh, which is hardly surprising given the uptake of Teams has been largely on the meeting side. Um, I think the uh, presenter view, I'm very excited for that to come around. As somebody that presents a lot on Teams, it is slightly frustrating that you're choosing between um, presenting your content or looking at your participants. So having um, those plus your notes on, on one screen, I consider um, a, a really great thing. Um, but do you think uh, these capabilities coming down the line are going to support ongoing use of Microsoft Teams? Um, or, or do you think um, it gives the impression that Microsoft might be running out of steam here? I, I, I personally think these, these presenter modes improvements are really substantial improvements to the, the experience. I mean, you witness firsthand a lot of people are... Um, you know, showing the raw edit version of PowerPoint instead of putting it into presenter mode so that they can still switch between devices, switch between apps and, and do all of those pieces. But I but I love the I love the concept of being able to virtually stand in front of your slide deck like you would in a physical meeting room. I think um it allows a much greater degree of your body language to be portrayed through the video um than just sitting staring at the underside of most people's chins because we're all looking at laptop cameras at the top of the device. So I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to add a dynamism to the the meeting experience that currently you can't achieve unless you've got separate camera equipment and you're really set up with green screen. I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of the sort of evangelist roles or developer advocacy roles in, in you know, policies like Microsoft, Google and Amazon, where people are used to presenting digital content, they have all of these home setups. But the average employee across many businesses, they've got their Lenovo laptop with a fairly mediocre camera in the top. You can't present well, no matter how good a presenter you are, you just can't present well because you've got a tiny screen, you've got maybe a second or third monitor as well, and you haven't got the right setup to do that. So these meeting invites, if you could then stand your laptop on on a slightly higher surface, step back from it on the other screen, have presenter mode, know that you're going out with a combined PowerPoint presenter and your stance in front of it. That's that's cool. That's exciting. I think it's going to also lead to some marketing team activity to shape some PowerPoint deck designs that are friendly to that. I mean, how many PowerPoint decks do you think are going to work with the last quarter of the right hand end or the left hand end with a human being stood in front of it? Because normally when you're presenting, you'd be in front of the big projector or the, the massive LCD screen, you stand to the side or you stand away from it so that it, it you're not blocking the view. Of course, you're then going to start blocking the view of your slides. So I think it's going to lead to a knock-on effect of a flurry of design activity around supportive material and, and presentation style. I think it's 100% in response to Microsoft not hosting in-person events and they need to get their message out at Build and Ignite and at WPC and whatever they call these things. So they need to get their own stuff better and we're all gonna benefit. Yes, uh, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a really substantial and important improvement. Um, I think it will probably help with some of the um, you know, lack of engagement that, that some people find with their, with their online meetings as well. 
Um, let's turn our attention to what you'd like to see um, coming down the line from Microsoft um, this year, start of the year. Um, clearly, there's going to be a bit more fluidity as to hopefully um, where people work and how. Um, what would you guys like to see Microsoft deliver on? Ooh, uh, I, I, I think there's a there's a there's some rough edges in a number of places um, that need finishing, um, both from a developer point of view. There's some APIs that are a bit bit, bit rough around the edges. From the experience I mentioned, you know, team Teams and SharePoint's interactivity because of the North Star they're going for. I understand it, but it's kind of left you in this limbo where you've not got a great experience at the moment. Um, but then there's like some little things that I'd love to see in you know a meeting experience, like the 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 timeline, you know, just some kind of easy visual to spot timeline. You know, we've got lots of pixels that are wasted at the top of that screen. Why not show me this is a two-hour meeting and where we're currently tracking in the meeting, so that ahead of time I could decide. Um, by this point, we want to move topic. By this point, we want to move topic and do what you do when you're physically presenting, which is you have those countdown timers in front of you that say, hey, you've got 10 minutes left, five minutes left. You know, there's some there's some further road they can travel in, in terms of improving that presentation experience. Um, but really, I just want them to finish off a few things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of rough edges in 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 some some fairly public places at the moment that I think they need to to finish off the SharePoint stuff with Teams, the API layers, um, also things like the transition of Microsoft Stream to how it's storing the files. I, I'd like to I'd like them to achieve that a bit quicker because Stream feels like this. There was so much promise and they put roadmaps out that they really didn't get very far into, and those were all really good features. They're now replatforming it. They need to replatform and deliver the features that they promised two years ago. So, um, you know, with their with their best will, they they have finite resources like the rest of us. But I think they they certainly have the scale to achieve those deliverables that they they promised so many years ago. There's a ton of back end things I'd like to finish, and this is probably not the right podcast for for that. But yeah, fin- finish things that have been started would be great. But that's been a that's been a Microsoft issue for a couple of decades. So yeah. <laughs> I think mine, uh, um, the ability to move channels between teams would be really, really helpful and also archive a channel. I think there's got to be a recognition that when you create a team day one over the lifetime of that project or piece of work, um, you know, it can end up being more complicated or it can end up, um, uh, you know, evolving. And therefore, you would want to wholesale move uh, a channel um, out. So um, I really want them to deliver on that. That's been a roadmap item for a long, long time. Um, and I think um, it's a bit of an issue when we've onboarded people into teams and they've been very successful with it. And they come back nine months later and say, oh, we need to split this out now. And you kind of think, yeah, that's not really a way of doing that at the moment. It's not very clean. So that that's my number one thing. Um, my number two thing is um, really hoping for an, for an experience um, in teams when it comes to files that's the equivalent to that in SharePoint. It is awful that we're still having to say to people, oh, to see the version control on that document, you need to open in SharePoint. 
um, oh, to see the, the tags or, or, or lists to do with that those files, you need to open in SharePoint. From an end user point of view, it's, you know, it's like, what? Why? I thought, can I do this from Teams? Uh, and of course, as people that have worked with Microsoft Technologies for a long time, we all know the history. It, it, it's still SharePoint. It's still fast. But try explaining that to an end user that's just onboarded. They don't care. All they know is there's an unnecessary click there into something that has a different UI uh, and it's not good. So um, my, my second big wish is that Microsoft crack on with that um, and make it so that it doesn't matter where I'm seeing these files from. I can do the same thing um, from all views. Uh, that would definitely make life easier. Yeah, well, and all the, think of the new things that are part of Viva where how many of those am I going to see in the team's experience or am I going to have to go somewhere else? So I, I think that's that. Yeah, I, 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 I sympathize, but I'm not so sure we're ever going to get it to be as soon as you get one thing rolled in, it's going to change. And then we have to re repackage it and get it improved. So I think that's fortunately there's a, it's more work for us developer types. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for, um, giving us your thoughts uh, in this Microsoft Teams roundup. Um, we're going to be um, running our next podcast on Viva, what it is, um, why it's been put together, when to use it, uh, and other considerations um, in the next couple of weeks. And we look forward to hearing one another and um, speaking then. The New Habits Podcast is produced by Add-in365. Thank you to Victor Villain for participating. Please leave a review in iTunes along with a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening.